So I wanted to bring Yael on uh, because, uh, well, they have extensively looked at plastic bag bans uh, around the U.S. and internationally, and they have some insight as far as how has that worked out or the real impact it has on planet Earth. Yael, my friend, it's been a long time since you've joined me on the air, and welcome into Hot Talk 99.5. I hope all is well across the pond today. Oh, things are great, Joe, and I'll tell you what, I'm wearing my Palmetto State hat just in celebration of us chatting this morning. So you're, you're representing South Carolina, you know, thousands of miles away. Home base is Vienna, Austria. Uh, just for a little introduction to Yael on top of what he does with the Consumer Choice Center. Born in Canada, family migrated to the U.S., Charlotte to be exact. Some of his family members uh, work uh, in and around NASCAR. He, again, stationed uh, his home base is in Vienna, but hopefully we'll be making a successful trip across the pond tomorrow, uh, Yael, as you get a chance to see some family in Charlotte, if you're able to get there via the air. Yeah, if uh, Lufthansa flight, you know, from Munich is all good to go, we'll be head right to Charlotte, and then on the weekend we'll, we'll actually be popping into some South Carolina lakes. So, you know, we'll enjoy some of the lakes uh, north of Columbia, enjoy a little bit of the heat, that record heat that y'all got and uh, probably enjoy, you know, some of the great barbecue. So definitely looking forward to getting back. I'll tell you that. Well, I have to, you know, just pull the curtain back a little further. Yael, while Austria was shut down during the COVID mess that we were all experiencing a few years back uh, during uh, one holiday, uh, Yael, a big smoker of his meat, and, uh, well, they were on, like, a lockdown where you were unable to leave, like, your apartment. Uh, like, you couldn't – you were just completely shut down outside maybe to go to the market to, to get food or you know, some of the other things that you, you may do as far as running errands to keep you know, your livelihood afloat. And Yael actually had the Karens call the police out uh, because he decided to go into the courtyard. No one is occupying the courtyard. The, the world is shut down uh, in Austria, and he wanted to smoke some meat. So you're talking about, you know, checking the smoker once every couple of hours – and I guess the smell of that barbecue, uh, Yael, led the Karens to call the police on you. What was that experience like for our listeners here in Myrtle Beach? Yeah, it's called the Karen trigger. And uh, anybody who's, you know, you, let's say you're smoking some meat, you got a nice little pork butt on there, or uh, you get a turkey, it's around Thanksgiving. You know, you let out a little bit of plume, you got a little bit of smoke in the charcoal, you know, get it started, and that's exactly what happened. And most people just aren't used to that. And uh, very bothered by the smoke, called the cops. Cops came over, checked out. They uh, wanted to see what, what was cooking. Uh, then the only thing they asked me is if they could come back later and have some. And there's really not much they could do because I was following all the rules and regulations. Uh, but then again, there's, uh, there's always going to be someone out there who's going to try to spoil your fun. You know, there's, not everybody can enjoy their consumer choice and consumer freedom all at one time. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me that someone would call the police on you because you're smoking meat in an empty courtyard in an apartment because of the fear of, you know, COVID. Unbelievable. Yael, as far as some of the local topics that I wanted to bring up today, based either on listeners contacting us because of the skyrocket rent prices that we have seen across the country and around the world in the aftermath of this COVID shutdown, along with a topic that is near and dear to, it seems, you know, many coastal cities and towns throughout the U.S. and elsewhere around the world in all efforts to protect, you know, 
Mother Nature and Planet Earth uh, from us uh, disgusting humans. Uh, a bright idea that has been passed along is this ban on plastic bags. Uh, we have seen it in the Outer Banks, uh, elsewhere around the country, and throughout the world. They have moved forward with these initiatives. And in North Myrtle Beach, they passed uh, an ordinance that would ban plastic bags all the way back in 2019. COVID happens. They say, all right, we'll delay it a little further. And then now, with the supply chain issues, as a result of the COVID shutdown, uh, now businesses having a tough time complying once it would be implemented because they can't get their hands on any sort of alternatives. Uh, in your experience researching plastic bag bans around the world, uh, what have you found out? Well, really what it comes down to is that it's a very symbolic move. Uh, this is basically virtue signaling. And the reason we say that is not because it is a bad thing to remove plastic. I mean, look, if people want to make that option or if a, a vendor or a store wants to only have cloth bags or paper bags, they're, they're able to do that. But when you're talking about a ban at a municipal level, county level, state level, that means that you're forcing entrepreneurs and businesses to make a certain decision. And when we look at alternatives to plastic bags, especially when we talk about food deliveries, uh, grocery stores, you know, it's very difficult to find good alternatives. And there's, there's a great study that was done by the uh, Ministry of the Environment in Denmark, nice little Scandinavian country, 2018, fairly recent. And they actually were able to track the life cycle. They were saying, all right, how many times does a bag have to be reused in order for it to be essentially net zero in terms of its climate impact? And when they looked at something like a normal plastic bag, it's 37 times. Okay, seems high. A uh, paper bag, though, about 43 times. And that nice little cotton tote bag they always want to sell you, it has to be reused 7,100 times. Because this is the thing. We always just look at the, comp you know, the composition. It's the same with the battery cars, electric vehicles. You might feel great that you're plugging in and you don't have to go to the gas station. But the materials necessary, the labor necessary, Everything that's necessary to create those cotton tote bags are actually worse for the environment than just having the plastic bags anyway, which can be done with uh, petroleum uh, processes. You know, when they're refining oil, they're able to have the byproduct. So realistically, these things don't necessarily save the environment. If you're going to have any of these, you know, more economically minded policies, it should be the merchants that do it. It should be the publics or the Piggly Wiggly and maybe they'll charge you five cents if you take the plastic bag. That should be their prerogative. And then it's an economic decision, but not a government ban. Because, again, those prices always will have to be paid back somewhere. And usually that means that prices go up for consumers. And if, if COVID taught us anything, by the way, about plastic bags and everything else, is that they're incredibly necessary. Especially if we're talking about, you know, things that could be safe, don't have any microbes. Plastic is still one of the best compounds that we have. So it's a bit of a folly that we continue to have these plastic bag bans, especially in a great place like North Myrtle Beach. Uh, hopefully they can have some economic sense, uh, but perhaps the merchants uh, can fight back as well. And that's not to say that uh, we you know, advocate for being poor stewards of the environment. That's not to say that we don't believe that plastic waste is a serious problem. But as you said, uh, when you weigh out the options and you look at the alternatives, uh, the cost of producing those alternatives, that a government mandate just isn't the way to go. Yeah, exactly. It's all about mandates, because when you have mandates, as, as we full well know with 
everything related to vaccines, you know, those costs are dispersed and they're carried on. And usually it's going to have to be you as a consumer who has to do it. It's very different if you're having to pay at the cash register, pay your five cents per bag or whatever it might be. But when you're talking about having to change the entire process for a store, a grocery store, some kind of consumer chain, you know, this is not just five cents. <laughs> We're talking, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes. And there is no great alternative at the moment. I think that's what's always missing in this. There is no golden solution offered by Joe Biden, Inc. that gives us the great environmental alternative to plastic bags. We're finding it better. Let's trust in entrepreneurs to find us a solution. But right now, using government mandates to ban certain kind of bags, is just not the way to go. Well, just to connect this for a moment with uh, the situation surrounding energy consumption and production in our country and uh, around the world, as you kind of you know, laid out uh, the, the push for electric vehicles or you know more uh, quote unquote renewable sources of energy you know, is great uh, moving into that direction, uh, but this point in time around the world. Uh, we just don't have the capacity right now, the technology or whatever it may be, to go fully reliant on some of the renewables the way, well, many in government want us to go, which is why we should tap into a, an above-all sort of approach, right, as far as the way we consume and produce something that everyone uses uh, every single day around the world, no matter your socioeconomic status. Exactly, and I think a lot of this is just really mired by politics, because we've had this just terrible rhetoric on everything related to fossil fuels. But if you look at things like natural gas, if you look at things like oil, look, this is still how we run our economy. It's still how we run ships. It's still how we run our cars. It's still how we run most commerce internally within the continental United States. And it's great to have diversity of energy. You know, if we want to have some wind farms, great. If we want to have some solar panels, amazing. If we want to have nuclear power plants, I say even better, but what's the problem always is the regulations or the political forces. And we have plenty of willing people who'd love to sell us oil over in Canada, over in Alberta, but because of politicians, they're not able to get the oil over the border. They're not able to get it through pipelines. They're not able to get it out to the market. And that means there's just more of a price crunch. And the entire situation in Ukraine where you have entire countries and regions in Europe reliant upon Russian energy, meaning that Russia can just essentially invade another country, yeah, this creates problems. And in the U.S., if we have the greatest energy stockpile the world has ever known, you know, no one would really know it because we're not actually exploiting that. We're not actually using it. If we look at nuclear power plants, we haven't had any approved since the 1970s. Meanwhile, France is building, you know, upwards of five a year. The United States can't compete with that. And we're not getting the natural gas out of the ground enough. We don't have the political support for people in D.C. and even many governors. And that could be the way to keep us safe, keep us, you know, reliant on American producers and not have to have Joe Biden go over to Saudi Arabia every couple of months, making sure they keep their oil market propped up and alive. Yael Lasowski is with the Consumer Choice Center, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. Yael got uh, an email from a listener the other day uh, talking about rent and uh, how she was just getting ready to re-up her lease, and her landlord came back and said that you know, it's going to cost her 400 bucks extra a month uh, you know, moving through uh, the year. 
after living at the same place for the last couple of years and getting used to you know her monthly budget you know being what it was she had tossed the idea of rent control out there as some are practicing within the US places like Seattle and elsewhere have moved forward with some of these policies uh, what are the end results uh, from what we see about the government sort of mandating how much a, a landlord can charge for a tenant to live at their property yeah I mean there there are really uh, two ways to look at this. You can look at it from the academic study way, and there have been some, some very good studies, or just lived experience. And what we notice in a lot of these areas is there are a couple of winners. You know, if you're able to get a rent-controlled apartment, you're the first in line, you're going to be great, and your apartment's going to be fine for a while. But what you'll notice is that all of the landlords, the people who own these buildings or apartments, homes, whatever it might be, they have next to no incentive to actually keep up with the place. They have no incentive to make sure that the gutters are not falling off, that you have all of the tiles on the roof that aren't going to fly off if there's a hurricane that comes through. You have much less investment in upkeep because they know, regardless of anything, what price they're going to be getting because it's set by the government. So you're going to have a, a reduction in investment. What you also have at the same time is a reduction of supply – because you have hoarding of apartments. You have as many people as possible who get into rent-controlled apartments. And then, essentially, when you have new people who are coming or if there's a new industry, there's no places. There's new apartments that haven't yet been built. So what are people supposed to do? They continue competing around and prices still have to go up. Or people have to find alternative creative solutions where all of a sudden people are living in office space, you know, commercial spaces. There's all kinds of things that happen there. And if you look at those who would like to purchase homes, uh, there's a lot of studies on when rent control is passed in places like Seattle or Cambridge, Massachusetts or San Francisco. Whenever rent control is passed, the, the few people who are able to get their, their apartments and they're rented is great. But then there are less people who can afford buying properties to perhaps give people rented apartments in the future. So you have less people able to buy because the prices have gone up to purchase so you really have a, a kind of elite class of people who rent. And what we see in a lot of European countries, particularly where I am in Vienna, is that you have an elite class of people who have political positioning, political friends. They're able to get on the list of those who have rent-controlled apartments. So it becomes as corrupt as any other large bureaucratic institution. And I think, unfortunately, that's what happens. There's a reason we have market rates. There's a reason that inflation is causing all of our lives a lot of pain, but that means that markets have to adjust and prices have to adjust, too. And, Yael, as I let you go, I know you're a big proponent, obviously, of consumer choice and something that the FDA has done over the course of the last few years now, an all-out assault on alternatives to smoking and nicotine use. Uh, I know you've penned a few pieces surrounding uh, the FDA and their irrational war uh, against uh, nicotine and the young. Uh, where can someone find uh, some of the stuff that you've been able to put together as far as that topic is concerned? Yeah, the, the last piece I had was over there on the, the Charlotte Observer. You can read that. It's all about Jewel and what the FDA is doing. But you can find most of my work on uh, consumerchoicecenter.org. You know, we've got a big campaign running against this. We want to provide alternatives for adult smokers who want to quit. Look, vaping is an amazing, innovative technology, and we cannot allow the government to kill it, to snuff it out uh, like they're doing to everything else in our lives. So uh, consumerchoicecenter.org. 
And Yael is the deputy director of the Consumer Choice Center, and he'll be arriving hopefully in the States uh, tomorrow at some point out in Charlotte where his family resides. Yael, as always, my friend, great stuff, and thanks so much for your time. All right. Thanks so much, Phil. Hot talk.